And my, I remember my friends, two of my friends were like, damn, you're going to Lehigh. Like, I never heard of them, but like, I wish you the best. Like, you think you can go pro from there? And I was like, nah, I know I'm going to go pro from there. And they're like, well, nobody's ever been drafted from Lehigh before. And I was like, I know because I ain't got there yet. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. game. Welcome back to the sixth episode of the season. Uh, We're going to be talking to a very special guest this episode, so stay locked in for that. And if you missed it, we had John Shire on for our last episode. Definitely check that out wherever you're currently podcasting. Appreciate the love support. Keep tapping in. Point forward. So, Dre, some things to consider discussing as we check out some feedback from that great conversation with Duke coach John Shire. You know, one thing uh, I think you always brought up, the imposter syndrome, uh, you know, that nagging feeling like you don't belong in that space. And I, I, right. know, I know we uh, kind of asked John about that a few times. The recruiting landscape has changed. You know, NIL, the whole thing's just changed. So, you know, how do you still go about carrying tradition in, in that respect? You know, anybody that's known me, I've never tried to be anybody other than myself. And I think it's really important that that doesn't change now. You know, I can't try to be Coach K. I can't try to be somebody else that I'm a head coach. Like, I'm just going to be real, whatever that means. You know, I remember having a conversation with my friend about the the topic in the episode. And he's like, oh, to do things a different way is definitely, uh, you know, very important. But one thing you have to be is, uh, you know, be bold and stand out there. You know, you can't fight, you know, stepping up and being a, you know, next head coach at Duke. And, you know, now in order to get players and everything, it's all, a, you know, a gimmick and a scheme. Even see uh, Brian Kelly, when he went to LSU, he switched up his whole accent, doing all those crazy dances, all the gimmicks that, you know, <laughs> trying to relate to the youth and, you know, keep that talent coming in. What That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. And for me, it's, you know, it's just as an athlete and when you transition away from being an athlete, um, you know, you just stepping into those other rooms and you want people – to take you seriously, but at the same time, we're very aware of our surroundings. That's one thing about athletes. You know, we spoke about that with Isaiah Thomas uh, on our very first episode. Yes. And he was saying, you know, we're special beings ourselves. People make decisions, you know, based on by the minute or, uh, you know, by the the hour, you know what I mean? And remember he said, we make decisions by the, the tenth of a second. Six like tenths of a second. Yes. Six tenths of a second. So six tenths of a second to us is like five seconds for somebody else. Who are you telling? <laughs> and so we have to remind ourselves of that. Like they're, we're unique and we're special. But in saying that, we're also aware of our surroundings within a sense. We know how people feel about us. So we feel that energy when folks are second guessing why we're in that room that we're in, which is off the court. You know what I mean? And so we may be looking too deep into it. That's the imposter syndrome. And I think the majority of the time, the rooms that we're in are with folks who respect us and our craft. So they know we can translate that energy into something else and we can succeed in it. But sometimes ourselves, we overthink it and think, you know, like I always say, like I've had tech meetings or I've had uh, company meetings where I had to Google some some definition or some acronym. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, like in those moments, <laughs> did you ever think, like, feel like somebody else needed to be here instead of you? 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you ever think like, bro, who told you or recommended me or told you whatever about me that said I was ready for this moment? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, early on, like, yeah. my, like Rudy, uh, Rudy would throw me in some uh, meetings and I'd be there like, I don't know if this is it for me. Not even if yeah. it's it for me because I knew that I could succeed in it. Yes. But I guess I would say like, bro, you got to really lock in. And you really have to, it's really difficult. And you got to go study. You got to go read. It's like going back to school. So I'm really just learning on the fly. You know, yeah. you just learning along the way. But then, you know, we have a lot of conversations in terms of where you grow up, where you were born and who your parents were. Yeah. That stuff is second nature because that's just the environment you grew up in. And it's just unfamiliar territory. And then once I got familiar with it, it was, I'm like, oh, that's it. Oh, I can, yeah. okay, I know I can do this, this and that. And then, yeah, you, go ahead. It, it, I don't know, but it's almost like you have to separate yourself. Like you always talk about always having that confidence of who you are and knowing who you are. And of course, being on the court, you have great confidence. But, you yeah, know, in those moments and everything, I, I try to make sure I remove myself as a basketball player, but I always keep in mind who I am as a person and the levels I climb and the, and the mountains I climb to get to where I'm at. You know what I'm saying? So I always wonder, like, you know, in, in those moments, you know, I, I remind myself in those moments when I'm uncomfortable, like, you know, I've been through way tougher stuff than this, like, literally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing that I really appreciate most about you is, like, you, I don't know if you know that you give me confidence, but just saying something like that, like, man, you know who you are? And, and then I'll go back and be, yeah, like, I came a long way. Like, yeah. I, I didn't, it was a lot of stuff I didn't know. Like, I tell guys all the time, you know, they always say, I want to invest or I want to do what you're doing. Show me the game. And it's like, bro, I can't just hand it to you. You got to go get it. But yeah. first thing you got to go do is watch CNBC and Bloomberg. Yeah. And I said, you got to give it a year. You you won't understand the word they saying until like month yeah. eight. And now, you know, I got, you know, other players uh, that have come up to me and they have a conversation with me about what's going on in the markets. and. And I'm like, oh, you've been watching. And so then I have to remind myself, like, oh, I was where they were like 10 years ago. And look where I am now. So going back to Shire, it's really about reminding yourself who you are. I think that's a great thing. Um, but then what you just said, separating yourself as a basketball player, but still reminding yourself who you truly are and understanding, like, we've been through so much. We're well, we're more than equipped to have success in other spaces outside of basketball. So I just remind myself of that most of the time. Yeah. I think one thing that occurs is kind of like the years back, I guess one thing I, I want to make sure that doesn't get lost in the sauce, but it always does. Cause you know, humans naturally, it's not anything in regard to ignorance, but we all have our own problems and everything is a separate entity. The same thing that I breeze over. Mm -hmm. You know, that's been happening a lot. There's a lot of injustices. But I, I think one thing that occurs, uh, it's like, like, like I always say, I isolate. I, in order to rise above, I try to isolate and really, you know, in those moments, try to be vulnerable and, you know, weigh the pros and cons. And, like, one thing that occurs where people are shocked is, like, winners are going to win. You understand what I'm saying? Like, yes, sir. We, we go through your history, everything you've done, and it seems like one big, amazing journey. Because you're going to win. One thing you're going to do, even when you pout, I'm like, bro, this dude's going to bite down his mouth guard and compete and come out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, you can't, 
that's inside of you. When we talk about like, you talk about analytics and stuff, like it's terrible because you can't tell those intangibles. So like when we go to different uh-huh. rooms, and, yeah, but, and I keep reiterating this. When we go to different rooms and I talk to people, I'm like, who, like, dog, like I made it in a space where it was like a 10th of a chance to get there. Even furthermore, I came from a systematic oppression, which right. was America. Right. So a rose that grew from concrete. So like when I'm sitting in rooms, I'm sitting places and, you know, sometimes I'll try to doubt myself. It's like, no, bro, I'm not even supposed to fucking be here. Right. And at the same time, these people aren't strong enough to really keep me back. And if they are, I, I, I already failed. I can't go anywhere else if somebody runs me out of room. Yep. And like, I, I think you have to be more, um, not so much you, but, you know, guys in, in my position, you have to be more entitled to that because sometimes it takes you back to step one where you're probably the only one rooting for yourself. Right. Right. And uh, right. And, and when you sit like that, I'd be like, bro, I, I, that that turns you into an animal. And, and, and you know, legends are made out of vulnerable men. Mm. Mm. You know I mean? Talk to him. I, and it reminded me this past week I heard Tua. I don't know how to say Tua's last name for some reason. Uh, the quarterback yeah, me for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But he said it. He, he said yeah. to his coach, you know, he had to ask himself and his coach, do I suck? And from the outside looking in, I'm thinking, bro, you doing a whole lot better than people said you was. Like, yeah. he's been really doing his thing down there. Unbelievable. You know, he got them boys balling. Not and so ball, they haven't won in years. Like, right? that type balling. <laughs> They had, they had what you just said. They had systematic oppression. The owner didn't <laughs> want to win, fam. <laughs> Think right. about it. You, you just said it. Yeah. <laughs> you overcame right. all that. Yeah. And then, that's and, crazy. Then, and then that's a week, that's a week long story. And then they'll critique Tua for the whole year. Like, he's terrible. He sucks. Like, bro, I just came from Hawaii. Went to <laughs> right. Alabama. Went in at halftime behind an SEC player of the year three times. Who's supposed mm-hmm. to be like big bro? He couldn't get it done. I did it versus Georgia. After sitting on the sideline with some big ass '90s security guard <laughs> earrings. <laughs> but what are you talking about, bro? I was trained in the trenches, bro. You can't even say my name. Shut your dumb yeah. ass up. <laughs> like, you know? I couldn't even say my name. You know what it's I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. And then you be sitting here in front of people. That's what makes me so mad when you talk a critic or whatever else. It's like, bro, ask that man when he's done. Ask that man how many times he's never bit down on his mouth guard and pushed through. Ask mm-hmm. that man how many times somebody sent him home. Ask mm-hmm. that man why he can't talk, look me in the eye. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. let's stop it, bro. That's why they made but- ocean ponds and creeks, man. We swim in completely different lanes, my name. Like, it's starting to get ridiculous. Point forward. Uh, I guess that's a great segue to our next segment down for that clown for that and as everyone knows that we you know you and i pretty much agree on majority of things you know we see the eye to eye on a lot of things um but in this debate segment down for that clown for that um topics where we can debate and disagree for a change now the this topic is very interesting and you know there's been a lot of chatter in this particular space. I don't know what you call it. You call it politics. You call it uh, injustices. I don't know what you call it. We've seen a lot of situations. You know, players have been suspended. Uh, Entertainers and influencers have lost, uh, you know, endorsement deals. 
yeah. uh, partnerships. Uh, but this one was super interesting with the Jerry Jones photo from 1957, right? And Stephen A. Smith um, had a very interesting take on it where I don't want to use the word defend, but he was defending Jerry Jones in terms of, you know, there's a picture of Jerry Jones outside of his high school when they were first integrating African-Americans into uh, the public school system. So they were getting rid of segregation. So they desegregated the school systems. Brown versus Board of Education overturned desegregation. So uh, overturned segregation and desegregated the school system, especially in the South. And Jerry Jones, I don't know who found this picture. That's what was took the cake for me. Yeah. Like was- they went like he looked like a lot of white dudes in America. So for Man, them I, to point him out in particular all was I impressive. Said, yeah, all I said was like, mm, plot thickens. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You mm, man, oh, that right. can't look too good. Like I like I saw the picture in the headline. I just put my phone down. Like, I'm just gonna wait till the streets tell me. Like, you know what I'm right. saying? Like, I'm gonna wait till they make something of it because it's so early. And that's when Stephen A did it. Yes. So Stephen A gave his TED Talk, it was a long-winded segment on the show he's on. And he basically was saying Jerry Jones was only 14 years old. Um, He's not actually doing anything demonstrative. Uh, You can't punish a one for being 14, 15, just being present. And it wasn't like he's 30, 40 years old where he had the wherewithal to understand what was happening. That yeah. was the normal then. Um, so I guess down for that or clown for that, and let's discuss it. I'm, I'm down for it. What Stephen A. did, for the simple, for simple the fact that man, when you really break, he's a 14 year old kid. Like, how strong are you to say racism? He's never even heard racism is bad. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not he's defending. Ne- I'm not defending. I'm not defending him in any sense. I'm not no, defending him wh- whatsoever. But if you knew better, you do better, bro. We grew up in certain areas where we talk about like I didn't know how wild it was until I went to college, right? So like when it comes down to it, just chalk it up to he was in, like, and I'm not, I'm not defending. No, him. I got you. No, but you no, know, it was a it was a bunch of dumbass people in that era and around yeah. him, and, and they still like, they still are, exist. Are alive and they still exist. So when we sit here, the only thing I want from like Jerry and those in his environment to be like, okay, so you're around to know when racism existed. You stood on the front line of racism. So when you sit here and you hold your hand out like, what's going on? Just, just stop, stop giving us that runaround and let's make something happen. Now that's the clown part to me. Because yeah. when we sit and say someone's only 14, you know, that's just how we were in America. And I'm on my, you know, history buff mode right now. I'm watching The Crown. I'm watching how the monarchy worked, you know, how the system worked in Great yeah. Britain and how it broke down. And it's just, it's, I call it convenient ignorance. You want to act yeah. like you don't know that something's wrong because yeah. it's beneficial to you. Yeah. And so I have this, this, I, this is the issue I have. They not telling black kids they're 14, 15 years old, so they don't know any better, but they still yeah. giving them life sentences and they Absolutely. prosecute them as adults. That's my problems. Yeah, that's you know, right. we we giving up on kids at like 11, 12 year olds, 11, 12 yeah. years old right now. We're giving up on black kids like they just they just writing them off. Yeah. And you, you'll never be able to get a job. You're a felon at a young age. You yeah. know, you just, the, the system is is 
set up for you to fail. But on the other side, it's you giving him grace. Yeah. Well, nah, he doesn't know any better. And, and that was my biggest issue. And then you go through Jerry's history as an NFL owner. And it's not about you have to hire a black coach. But we all know you ain't going to do it if the black yeah. coach was the best uh, person for that job. That's just my personal Absolutely. opinion. I could, I could no, be wrong. But, no, you can't be wrong because it would have happened by now. So, like, that, yeah. that's where it comes to, like, when we're showing pictures or showing proof. It's like, all right, we stereotype any other time. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we'll stereotype somebody that ain't got shit. So a billionaire don't like. I'm not saying he doesn't care or anything else like that, but he's. I, I just I just don't get sometimes, man, when, when the standard is completely different. Yeah, and and I'm not yeah, even calling yeah. him. I'm not calling for him yeah. to have to sell the team or lose the team. But at the same yeah. time, I've been thinking about this. Yeah. Define the word promote. So it's an upgrade, right? No, no, I'm not even, I shouldn't say promote, endorse that definition no. of promote. Yeah, when, like, I feel like. If, yeah. I, if I say, if I say, I like those shoes, and then come to find out the person that made those shoes has a history of a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Predatory past. Yeah. I can no longer wear that person's shoes, because if I do, I'm promoting or I'm endorsing that shoe. It's like. Yeah. Retweet, retweeting something, correct? Yeah. yeah no, you're absolutely right. But yeah. this photo and you in the, come on, Alan Iverson went yeah, to jail right. because right. they said he was leader of a mob activity and he didn't do anything in the bowling alley. Yeah. He was it, just there. So Alan Iverson it, was 15, 16 years old yep, and he was yep. just there. Yeah. Right? right. But he right. went to jail. They had to go get John Thompson. Who not. was one of the most? Who was the, one of the biggest figures in college basketball? Who basically ran Washington D.C. You know, he he was like his book is out. I, like we, I got to read his book. I got yeah. it. I know which part I want to read. But he was very um, instrumental in making sure that a lot of the drug activity that was going around in D.C. The the freaking mayor was on crack cocaine. They got him on film. That's what right? Dave Chappelle told the new mayor. He said, "You could do a little crack with me." <laughs> no, no, right? I didn't. Yeah. I'm saying. All that happened, and it took, and like this is the figure that John Thompson was, and he got, he had to go, he had to go get Allen Iverson out of jail, who was a kid because he was in a bowling alley when some white folks did some, said some words, and, it, and an outrage came from it. Not to say yeah. they were right or wrong, I'm not blaming anybody, but Allen Iverson was a mob figure, went to jail. He told me himself, he said, "Man, I was in jail, like." I thought my life was over. I stopped. I started smoking cigarettes. They made me stop yeah. smoking. They said, man, put the cigarette down, bro. You're going to get up out of here. Yeah. But Al Iverson didn't get no pass. Yeah. That's and, all I mean, I'm saying. You're absolutely right. I mean, when Ohio, when those Ohio officers in Cleveland killed Tamir Rice, they called him a grown man. There you go. So, like, man, we, we already know the story, dog. It don't make, you know what I'm saying? But the more and more we have this conversation exposed, you're going to have to have answers for it. And the ignorance can no longer be like, what you mean? Because everything's coming out, bro. And that's, and that's literally you, it. What you, like, what you, what you mean? I was just at the school. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. like, and it's yeah. like, bro, give us better answers than that. But you're absolutely right, Dre. You won this one. Yeah, because 
it's been on my heart because I've been having mm-hmm. a lot of conversations about, you know, my brothers in the league and mm-hmm. trying to get people to understand where certain guys come from. You know, not saying that, like you said, I'm not vouching for a particular person, but I'm trying to tell you where they're coming from based on my observations of being a black man in America, based on being around that particular individual. Come on, man, he's not that. Stop it. And yeah. it it gets turned on me as if I'm the bad person and I'm saying what he's what they think he's saying. And, I'm, and yeah. I'm, my whole argument is he's not even saying that. Point. Forward. All right, what do you want to tackle? Let's tackle well, that. What, what was that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead and do it and start it and just kind of walk me through it. Because I'm not, I read this, but I was All not right. familiar. I thought this was a like high school basketball AAU tournament. I didn't no. know this was real women's college basketball. So that, so keep that because that's actually crazy because this was a real women's college basketball tournament this past weekend in Las Vegas. So like the Big I Ten think- versus ACC. No, like not that NBA, big, but no, it's a I mean, tournament. there was number 16, like the number six team in the country there. There's real good teams there. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So it's re- really good teams there. So this is supposed to be like when when uh, Illinois beat UCLA back in the day, uh, a couple weeks ago. Like it's supposed yep. to be like a great event, like battle okay, of the Bahamas Hoosers, type thing, okay. that type of situation. They show up, you know, ballroom format or whatever. Obviously, they'll have the games in the ballroom, but like there were no bleachers. They just put chairs around the court. You understand what I'm saying? Also, too, there was no medical staff on file. So when one girl got hurt, they had to stop the game for an hour to get yeah, to the, yeah to get to get to the Mirage Hotel. And that was just like it's just little stuff uh, that occurred where you're like, bro, this can't be happening. If we're trying to move the game forward. Like you're in a big spot, like Las Vegas. Some of the top teams are arriving, and right now, like. No, it looked like nobody was prepared for this tournament at all. Like, like literally, like what you invested into this tournament is crazy. So I, I'll tell you what I saw. Tell me. I saw it on it on I think Twitter, and they were saying this is kind of crazy that this tournament is happening in the ballroom. And so it was a quick glance. So when I saw it, I just assumed it was AAU. But then now we're doubling back talking about it. I'm like, oh. They had Indiana, the number six ranked team in the country. Yes, bro. That's what happened to them. Real institutions of high, like big time basketball programs, like real pro, like people bringing real talent. There was no securities, no EMTs, bro. They put chairs up like it was like a practice, dog. Right. Like, I saw that. You know, one thing that occurs, and I think that, you know, even this position for, you know, female that's playing the sports and trying to drive the women's game, like, you show up and it seems like somebody just put something together for you the yeah. day of. Yeah. These, they're really working hard. They're really trying to make things happen. It's one thing to kind of already have their coverage cut. But now you're showing up to tournaments and bringing family and friends is just a, a put together. Mm-hmm. Nah, nah. I mean, we've seen that before. When we show up to something be like, oh, no, y'all didn't. No, y'all right. didn't. Just waste my time. Right, right, <laughs> and, I, you gotta, and you have to kind of sit through it. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, I got to go through this. Like, and, and in your back of your mind, you're like, just get through it. Just get through it. And and they're and, and they're really playing for something. You know, like yeah. these are these are important games. Like this means something to all of them. And so Absolutely. it was it was super unfortunate situation. I mean, you go back to Chad Holmgren, he got hurt in the pro-am, and they yeah. were there immediately. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I don't, there's no excuses at all if you ask me in terms of why this was the way it was, because it could be easily fixed. You know, you got all this NIL money. They've been talking about uh, the NCAA still ain't in their pockets to help out nobody but themselves. At all. 
Like, it, where are they? What they what they call themselves? Like, they call themselves the governing body, but you know who's taking out, who's looking out for the best interests interests of the athlete, and it's certainly not them. Bro, at the end of the day, one thing I've learned: the athlete can be like put on a pedestal or whatever, or like hyped up. But one thing an athlete can also do is get the low end of the stick and get fucked over. Because, it, because at the end of the day, like, that's just what happens. Like, for whatever reason, agents, lawyers, middlemen, they all think they deserve a piece of whatever we do or legit be like, they probably won't notice or there's some type of weird thing of being like, they get their school, like, just dumb shit to justify why the lack of whatever is okay. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's funny because you're right, but... It's first world problems. It sounds like you're complaining. No, like, it yeah. ain't first world problems. It's just, man, y'all getting over it. Like, this is wild. Like, yeah. like it sounds yeah. like a joke. Like, yeah. it's, it's like, come on, fam. You say, when you're, the way you're saying it, it sounds funny. And it's like, bro, they just pimping these people. But it's like, we them people. So, yeah. like, why do we keep going through this over and over and over again? I've got a topic for us to discuss that I have been meaning to bring up to you. What it is, folks. And I, I hate that we miss this. We miss these conversations. We should record these conversations more often. So I'm trying to see who's who's going to challenge Ja. It's like that next PG. Who, who are the other PGs out there? I'm, what's name Hooping though? Bro, I'm not Mike, Brown, Mike Brown got them boys rolling. Oh, yeah. D, uh, Kevin Hurd told Fox me. playing at a high yeah, level. Yeah, he he made the all-star team today. Yeah. Kevin Herter told me, he was like, yo, yo, he's top five. He told me this like a month and a half ago. I'm like, bro, you bugging. Mm -hmm. Tyrese mm -hmm. Halliburton's been going crazy. Yeah, Halliburton's been going crazy. Number, is he like, is, is he, is he, you can't knock him. can I he mean, get I, to J-Kid's level? That's what I'm asking. Can he, can he get like there? It. I mean, it's little shit, right. bro. 30 assists, no turnovers? No, no, 100%. I didn't, I didn't like, see that. Oh, no, me, no, J-Kid, Halliburton. I'm, no, no, but I, I'm just saying, but like, he's doing 20 and 16. Yeah. He's doing yeah. 18 What's this year? and 18. Two? Three? This is, what year is this for him? Like three or four. I don't know. Like bro, this might be year two. Yeah, for somebody to three. fucked up three. jump shot and he's thriving like that, good for him, bro. Put him bro, in Bro, he's making it, though. And, bro, and Trey Young, I don't care what you say. At the end of the day, like, Trey Young's name is going to be in the top three or four of point guards. Now, I'm not disagreeing with that. So don't, don't say I'm not saying that. But And, and, and don't and, let him get on the big stage. He will perform like no other. Yeah, I get that. I'm, I'm, I get that, but they he just put up 40-something, 40, 40 and his, his backcourt mate put up 30-something against the Rockets, and they lost. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, jotting them right. down, down there winning. Yeah. So that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. And both of them, they got teams that can compete on a nightly basis. So, you know, let's not give them an excuse like he's going crazy if they're losing. And, and it's not yeah, like but, he has an excuse like they're not good. They just went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, they're still in a play. They're still in playoff contention. I can see if he was putting up some shit. He was just ass, 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 ass. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel you. Like, I feel you. But when I'm when, Jai has, when Jai has forty the big nights against lesser teams, they winning. They winning yeah. those games. That's what no, I'm saying. Absolutely. But I'm just basing off the fact that being in Atlanta, excuse me, and knowing what I know and being like, bro, this shit ain't never finna work. So like. Coming back and them hitting playoffs and going to the yeah. Eastern Conference Finals yeah. and always staying afloat. Yeah. And then when you watch Trey Young play, bro, he literally offensively is damn near perfect. I seen him double team. I wouldn't say perfect. I seen him double team him and he mixed them up. And I was, I it's, gave him one of these, like impressive. He never misses impressive. a floater. 
I'm shooting from 57 feet out and then, bro, and in big moments, bro, that little fucker performs, bro. And that performed, like, put on a show. I'm not, the Knicks, so why, were, the so Knicks why were the Knicks. He, so why doesn't he get the credit he deserves? Does, that you I say think, he deserves? I, one, I think Steph takes a point of putting his little ass down every time he sees him. <laughs> what is he supposed a, to do? No, no, not a, no, not a negative way. No, no, he puts no, a little nigga. No, what's the comparison? What is he supposed to do? That's his, no. What he did in Cleveland last year, people are don't even make they don't even pay attention. Like the first three or four shots were on Trey Young. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, like when I'm sitting here, hold I'm on, like, hold bro, on. you said the first three shots were on Trey Young, or like first like few mates were like literally the first make he made, he literally stared in Trey's face. The second he shot, it looked back. <laughs> You talking about the All Star game? Yeah, the All Star game. I'm just saying. Oh, it was in Cleveland. Yeah, I'm, every. I'm so sorry because I, I'm not equating that the All Star game should be in Cleveland. I'm so yeah. sorry, but shout out to Joe Kim Noah. We keep yeah. going. Yeah, and I, I'm just saying, like, when I'm it gonna comes get down to some type of like hype or like who and holler when he goes up yeah. against thirty. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And it's no disrespect to Trey. I'm sticking up for Trey. Thirty is just thirty, bro. He literally. That's when you be like, bro. This is. This is a nice dude, but this is a real killer because he's literally making a feast out of who's supposed to be his quote unquote understudy. Yeah. All right. So next week, I think we should do the basketball matchup at every position. So we know we got King Tate and Luca. Like, who's the ones? Like, who's going at like the next generation? Like the, the guys right. under 25, 25. So who's going at? And don't leave out Brandon Ingram. Okay. Is he twenty five? He the same age as all them. He only in yeah. year five. Yeah. Don't do my guy like that. He did one not, year of school too. No, I'm not gonna do him like that at all. I'm just saying, yeah, like, the certain dudes problems. I just like, yeah, yeah. I just put him over there, like, bro. All right, he's not to be played with. Yeah, like, you know yeah. what I mean. It's like Joe Johnson. It's like you, if you understand, oh, yeah, unfuckwittable. Yeah, yeah. So like, I agree. I agree. That he Joe might Johnson not be top two. Amazing. Yeah, he might not yeah. be top two, yeah. but he'll for sure do that. You feel me? Yeah. No, you're right. No, I, I'm with you on that one. I'm definitely yeah. with you on yeah. that one. But you know, like Devin Booker. Yeah, you got D-Book at the two. So you got somebody. You got Ja at the one. We got the three matchup with Luka and King Tate. The four. I don't know who's at the four. Man. Y'all chime you? in. I, I guess y'all help us out, please. If it, like, tell us. It's got to be top two or three. Like, don't throw who's out no four, crazy. Man. Point. Forward. Today we are joined by one of the NBA's brightest stars. And not just from a basketball perspective. My guy from the league. A colleague on the leadership group at the MBPA, Evan's former teammate and a fellow podcaster, CJ McCullum of the New Orleans Pelicans. Appreciate you jumping on, fam. Hanging out no with problem. us. No problem. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on my podcast. It's the least I can do. Oh, no, no, no problem. We had a great, great, great chat. I, I, I really went in depth uh, there. So thank you for bringing that, activating the brain. But first thing we ask uh, most of our guests this season, season two, how did you end up here? Yeah, I would say, just like you, I wouldn't just go on anybody's podcast, right? I have to respect them. I have to kind of understand what their podcast is about, and I have to like them and to like, like them enough to have a, you know, an hour, hour to have however long a conversation is. So I say that's the first part. The second part is storytelling. Like, I enjoy storytelling in all all fashions. I've listened to a lot of the podcasts you guys have, have done and have put on. I respect you guys, and I think um, it would be a, it would be good for me to – to have a conversation with you guys, first of all, you went on my podcast, so it's very disrespectful um, to to ask somebody and then not be prepared to do the same for them. So I, I wanted to make sure that I delivered on that end. And then I just think that what you guys are doing is cool. I think 
it's easier to to talk to and relate to athletes that have gone through what you've gone through, right? In terms of what you're what you're sharing, what you're willing to share, and then devoting time. I know how much time it takes to to do a podcast. I haven't done you know three hundred almost probably three hundred episodes over the, over the last wow. five five years. Before it was I mean, trendy, I'm too. exaggerating. Yeah, I, I started trendy. in seventeen. I started in seventeen with Jordan Schultz, and then mm-hmm. you know I had to pull up pod, and then I decided to deal with ESPN. And now I'm doing the, the CJ McCollum show. So I, I know what it's like to try to get guests. I know what it's like for guests to cancel, guests to be late. I hate all of that stuff. I know what it's like to try to fit this into your schedule. Like my life is so complex now and complicated that it was hard for me to schedule weeklies, bi-weeklies with my therapist. I was like, yo, I don't know when I can talk to you. I was like, look at the schedule. Like I got games, I got this. But so I understand the process behind it. So I, I appreciate the work that you guys are doing. I know how difficult it can be, but just know that there's a lot of people that listen that you probably wouldn't even expect to listen. And then you got some hustlers that are just trying to learn more about you too, especially in the business world. Yeah, for sure. Well, appreciate you once again for joining and, uh, you know, congrats on everything you've been doing. Uh, obviously, we just asked how you ended up on a pod. But next, let's go back to the padding story of how you ended up in the NBA. Everybody knows you are. They see that picture of you as a 5'2 freshman, you know what I'm saying, who was had the big ass jersey on, big shorts. But, you know, it's a bucket as a youngin. So, you know, take us back to, you know, step one at Canton. And I already know a few stories, but, you know, fill in, right. fill in people that's, that's new to the C.J. McCollum. So I, I grew up in Canton, Ohio. For those that don't know, it's the football Hall of Fame city. It's not allowed to do there. Blue collar workers, you know, probably about 78, 80,000 people there. And put the football in your crib at birth. Um, oftentimes wow. encouraging you to play. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a football place. Like oh, you play right. football there. That's what you do. Yeah. So I grew up playing football, but I don't like the cold. I don't like the snow and I don't <laughs> like getting hit. So eventually I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't. <laughs> I'm playing quarterback with my hand in the hand warmer. Like, you know how like you grew up in Chicago. Like y'all know what it is like in, in Illinois. Like it's cold. Yeah. Like your yeah. winters are real. Yeah. I said, I can't do this. I need an indoor sport. And I gravitated towards basketball because that was the most fun for me. And although I wasn't the best in it, I loved it the most. It was it was the the sport that gave me the most joy. It was the sport that I enjoyed watching the most. And I always knew that if I did something I loved, I would either figure out that I'm just really not good at it or I would figure out ways to become good at it. And I chose to figure out ways to become good at it. And although I was small, I was not very athletic. I wasn't very fast. I just worked. I really worked hard at getting better. In, in, in small things, right? Footwork. I worked on a floater. I worked on my handles. I dribbled with cones. My mom would set up the chairs in the basement and we'd trip around the chairs in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. I shot with gloves on. Like I did all the things that kids do when they love a sport. And then I did a little bit more because I knew I was at a disadvantage based on size and athleticism. And I there was times where I didn't think I was going to make it. I tell it all the time. There was times where I didn't think I was good enough. There were times where I wasn't good enough, but I just convinced myself that if I worked harder, I would figure it out. And Luckily, I grew a little bit as high school progressed. And um, I think the the key for me was figuring out a way to get a scholarship because my mom and dad told me early on they're not going to be able to pay for school. So you either got to get really good grades or be good in sports. And I didn't have really good grades. I was like, you know, 3.0, 3.2, 3.4. Uh, and I wasn't I'm about to say, what? That sounds like a 5.0. I thought you were like, what? CJ, you a smart guy. I don't yeah. know. If you, I don't no. see you with a 1.2. But yeah. you talking about a 3.0. You don't understand how I was raised. Like, my brother was 3.8, 4.0. So when I came home with a, under 
you know, honor roll is considered 3.5. Anything under that is merit, like 3.4, 3.2 is merit. My mom was devastated because my brother was, you know, A minus B plus, and I was B minus C plus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I, I pushed the border, uh, I pushed the envelope. If you as a younger child, and I was smart and I figured it out, but I wasn't smart enough to go to school just based on academics, is what I'm saying. So I worked, and my brother and my dad and my mom were big on if you want something, you gotta go get it, and nobody's gonna give it to you. I used to sneak into my high school gym. I just put rocks because, believe it or not, they didn't like like a shooter in there. Right. Um, they hated it. They hated us shooting after hours. Well, they hated us shooting after hours, if you know what I mean. And it was tough, like, to not be able to shoot at my own school after hours, I think it's crazy, considering yeah. the fact that my brother went there, considering the fact that Costa, um, you know, those in the Costa Kufis, his mom was a teacher there, so she would be cool with, like, let us in. But if another person caught us, they would kick us out. So I kind of went through that for a lot of high school to where, like, it didn't make sense, right? Like, I, I shouldn't have to sneak in to get extra work, but we did. And I just figured out ways to get better. Once they got a gun in the gym, it was over for there. Like I could get up like a thousand shots in like 45 minutes. It was like, that was a game changer for me and my form and like my, my discipline to shoot higher, to shoot more arc. And that's when I started hitting threes, like off the bounce and, and stuff like that. But I'm just, I'm, I'm rambling now, but I think the work ethic is, is kind of what got me to this point. And then luck, I got lucky, man. I, I picked the right school. The right school found me. I worked on my game when I got there. I wasn't an NBA player when I when I committed to Lehigh. I wasn't an NBA player when I got on campus. But when I left, I was ready because I put the work in. I took advantage of my my four years there. But I would just say that I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for God. I, I'm I'm strong in my faith. Like I wear my crosses and stuff. But I, I actually read Bible verses. I'm not just a a guy who mm -hmm. pretends to have faith. Like I really believe that you know if you do things the right way, if you work on your craft, um, at some point the world will give you good karma. And yeah, at some point, the world gave me good karma, and I gave it back. Yeah, you reap if you sow. You know, sow good seed. But the interesting thing is, go back to you know high school. It it's not normal to start at, or to even play yeah. as a freshman, especially in the Midwest in states like Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan. You know, right. th there's a, there's a real. Uh, it's like a healthy basketball community. And it's yeah. like, uh, it's, it's revered. You know, we always talk about when we get older and I still got guys who brag about what we did in high school to this day. I mean, we're in the league, so we don't look at it like they do, but there's a lot that comes with performing at a high level in, in, in high school basketball in the states that we come from. Mm -hmm. So just take us back to, you know, what, made the coach believe in what you were doing or what was your skill set like or, or you know what was in your mind being a 5-2 freshman playing on varsity yeah I, I was a certified bucket like and a lot of people say that but like I was 5-2 and I was really hard to guard at 5-2 like scoring on 6-6 six, six guys 6-5 six, guys it was just weird I just had this innate ability to create space like mm -hmm. crossovers, hesitations. I could shoot with range. So I think the range helped me. Players had to guard me closer and I was just so small. It was easier for me to find angles to get around them. I had the underhand, like I had a lot of stuff that I worked on and then some of it was just creativity. And I think you probably see that with Steph. I'm not saying I'm Steph, but I'm saying you work on so many different things and then you have this, this innate ability to translate work to game action while doing it once or twice. Like I could do something once or twice, and then I could go do that in the game tomorrow against San Antonio Spurs. And the switch comes on, and then my creative, my creativity 
ability to just like try stuff. Like I can see stuff and mimic it pretty well. And I just began to mimic great players and talked about it. I was five foot two, um, 108 pounds my freshman year. My brother was the starting point guard and he was a senior. So there was no way I was going to start point guard for my high school team because he was better than me. He was, it was him and Costa's team. So I played three quarters JV, two quarters varsity. For those that don't know, like back in the day, you could only get five total quarters. It was Ohio rule. You could get five quarters total. So I averaged 20 a game in three quarters at five, two in JV. And I would sit out and save two quarters right. for varsity. And I like I didn't really play a lot unless it was a blowout or whatever the case right. may be. But I was really good and I created space. And they made fun of me, you know, the high school chance and stuff like that. But then I would get in the game and go get buckets. My sophomore year, it was hard for me. My brother ends up going to college. He ends up going to Goshen College in Indiana. And it was the first time I was by myself. I didn't have somebody to wake me up. I didn't have somebody to rebound for me. I didn't have somebody to push me. And I really struggled. I struggled being by myself because he was always there to kind of like make sure I was good. He cooked breakfast for me. Costa was gone too? Costa was still there. It was Costa's senior year. So Costa was still there. It was Costa's team. He was, you know, running the show. Is that the year y'all beat Cannon? Y'all ended Cannon McKinley's like 50 game win streak? That was my freshman year. But that year we beat, we did beat McKinley because Raymar was gone. So like Raymar, they had like, you know, Raymar went to Michigan State. They had a bunch of players, D1 guys, and they just, they basically ran the state for like four years. They was going to state championship like every year. And right. And once they left, it was like our turn. And I watched how Costa worked, who was a seven footer, had handle, could yeah. shoot. Yeah. He, he slept in the gym. Like we used to tell him, Costa, you got to go home. Like you're working out too much. I watched how he worked and he was a blue blue chip five-star, you know, number two, number three player in the country. So I said, if he's the number three player in the country and he works like this, I'm unranked. I got to work twice as hard so that I can become 200 or 300 in the country. And I think that stuck with me. But I struggled myself. My year, I averaged six points a game. I came off the bench. I was supposed to start. And it's funny because I never forget it. I was supposed to start. And then this kid transferred over uh, from Marlington, which is a suburb outside of Canton. And his father was on a booster club. And his father basically, you know, gave some bread and they started him. And this is like, this isn't mean like being a hater. Like this is my reality. He started and I was the first sub and I would come in and play starter minutes, but I didn't start. And that messed with me a lot before the season. And that hurt, like that hurt my ego, hurt my pride. And I had to make a decision on like, what do you want to get from this, this sport? Like you're five, seven. Now at this point, you average six points a game. You have no scholarship offers. Nobody wants to recruit you. I, I rode the bench for all Ohio Red um, AAU team. I didn't play. And I had two years left to try to figure out how to get a scholarship. So I created this voice note on my phone. So my alarm clock was a voice note of me talking to myself about, you know, what I was going to accomplish my junior season, how many points I was going to average, um, how I was going to get this one scholarship and my dedication to make sure that I got up at six o'clock every morning was, was on the court by 620. And I did that for the whole summer. My brother came back and we worked out at 6 a.m. every day, ran the monument stairs, and then we would shoot at night. And that season, I I grew to 5'10". So I was 5'10 going into my junior season. And my brother was like, you're good enough to average 18 a game this year. You should average at least 18 before he left. And I said, I'm going to average 25. And he laughed. And he was like, well, if you average 25, then you'll get a Division One scholarship. And I went from six points a game to 25. And in my first career start, I broke the school record and scored 54 points. And I was like angry. It was an angry 50. Like I was cursing out people that like did nothing to me. Like I'm looking at the coach, like it's your fault. Like this is this is your fault. Like this is happening. Like you know, what I mean, you know how you just angry, like angry black man. Like I was just really angry at my circumstances, my situation, how I should have been playing varsity earlier. I was mad at all of how red for not playing me the whole year. I was mad at colleges that didn't recruit me. It was just like an angry. Like I was playing basketball angry, but like it, it was bringing me joy. Yeah, yeah, and. 
the last thing I'll say is because I ramble a lot is I scored 54 in my first career start and I got a letter from Lehigh three days later and I had never heard of Lehigh. Um, I had never heard of it. I had to look them up. This is when the video game was out, the college basketball game. So I looked up the roster and I started playing with Lehigh on the video game when I was 16. Oh, Just to see like, like what is yeah, it like in yeah. the conference? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life goes full circle. I end up committing to Lehigh the next season. But I say all this to say I averaged six points a game as a sophomore. I came off the bench. The next year I averaged 25, five and like four. The same thing happened to me in the NBA where I, I averaged six points a game my second year in the league. Wesley uh, signs with Mavs, signs with the Mavs. Um, Nico leaves. LA goes to um, San Antonio. And I went and I averaged 20. I went from averaging six points a game to 20 in the NBA. So it was like my life was coming full circle again. Yep. And then your that first start in the NBA was like what 37, 38 points. You crossed yeah. you crossed the shit out of Dirk in the corner. That type yeah, situation. that was yeah. So my yeah. first my first start like that third year, we we actually we played against New Orleans, ironically. And that was when Drew Holiday was there. And I had 38, I had 20. 22 in the first, something like 20 in the first quarter, something like that. And I finished with 38. And then like that same season was the Dirk um, in the corner where I big cross and he turned around. It was, that was wild. So I want to go back uh, to when you were talking about leaving, you know, leaving for high school, leaving high school and going to Lehigh, you know, clearly uh, you wanted to be one of the top players. You said you're okay with, you know, averaging 25, getting a D one scholarship and everything. But even though you got the scholarship you wanted for the most part, where was your mindset at going in? Did you still have a chip on your shoulder? Like, were you like, this yeah. isn't enough? Because I know you left high school as the Gatorade player of the year. And like, yeah. I don't think that's normal stuff. You get player of the year. It's like, even when I was watching you when I was in Philly, I'm like, bro, this, this dude's a little type different. Like, and when I saw you win, you know, the conference player of the year and you're averaging 20 or whatever as a freshman, I'm like, yo, this dude is playing at a different level with his chip on his shoulder. Those early moments, from youth is, is that something that you always carry with you like you say you were mad then yeah. like is that something that still makes you mad yeah i took it personally yeah. that um i didn't start right away i ended up scoring like you know 13 or 1400 points in my last two years of high school and then like you said before i win ohio gatorade player of the year i was runner up mr basketball to jared sellinger shout out to sully uh ohio state um and then I went to Lehigh. And when I went to Lehigh, you know what, what angered me is not that I had to go to Lehigh because that was perfect for me and I'm glad it worked out. But people were like, why is he going to Lehigh? He's the Ohio Gatorade player of the year. Like, I never heard of that. Like, he's never going to be able to go pro from there. And that's what pissed me off. So it was like a, a cycle of, like, they think that I can't go pro from here. You know what I mean? Like, right. that, like, so it was like another challenge for me. Like, I felt like it was another challenge. And you know how we are. Like, we're crazy. Like, we'll make up stuff in our heads, like, yeah. just to kind of get ourselves going. But I didn't have to make anything up because people were just giving me fuel. Like, he's not going to be able to go pro from a small school. And my, I remember my friends, two of my friends were like, him, you going to Lehigh? Like, I never heard of him, but like, I wish you the best. Like, you think you can go pro from there? And I was like, nah, I know I'm going to go pro from there. And they're like, well, nobody's ever been drafted from Lehigh before. And I was like, I know because I ain't got there yet. Like, <laughs> after I go, I'm going to be the first one to get drafted. And they just laughed. And I watched Steph. I watch Eric Maynard. I watch all those players, you know, George Hill, right? All these players went to small schools. Keith McLeod is from, you know, Canton, Ohio. He went to yeah. Bowling Green. Antonio Daniels, who does our um, – Yeah, he's top Daniels. five pick. Play by play. Yeah, top, top five pick. Your teammate was a top five pick. So I got the blueprint on success from just watching and did not emulate. I used to look up their stats. Like, what did they average as freshmen? How much did, how many times did they go to the tournament? So then, like, when I got to campus, I already knew what I had to do. 
yeah. to get to the league. It was just a matter of me doing it. It was like, this is how many points you got to average. You got to have a signature win. Like I knew my freshman year, I need to get to the tournament as many times as possible and get one signature win and I'll have a chance to go to the league. So like that was my thought process. So when Duke popped up, you're like, bet. Because when you came out, bro, it was like you can't. Like everything was like, oh. yes, yes, you finna get it. Yes. Like, it was like you already knew yeah. what was finna happen. It was like somebody was holding you back and just let you let you go. Like it, it was uh, it was unbelievable, literally unbelievable. And like to be in Philly and to see your team, like to hear about it, it was like it, it was a lot of energy. Wait, what year that. was that? That was 20, 2012. Yeah, 2012. So I was we were just still teammates. We were together, Evan. Oh, we were watching that together. We were like, yo. Yeah, yeah I it, think was, that was it. it didn't even yeah. like they belonged in the same court. And and that's what I wanted to, to add to Evans. And I don't want to cut you off, Evan, but to add to you, you know, Steph, one of the top players of all time, you know, you can name yourself, you can name all these players that came from small colleges. And you go across, if it's not high school, every player came from a large, uh, you know, a larger D1 basketball school. And so you think it's a mentality with that as well? Because both of you have some, and, and that's a healthy obsession. I wanted to point that out because these are things I'm trying to tell my son. Like you have to have a healthy obsession with something you want to be successful at. And I applaud you and I appreciate you speaking that because like that's the motivation and then that's what you need to have in you to get to the league. Like it's very hard to right. get to the league and, and, and it's starting to look like it's too easy, but it's not. Yeah, for me, it was twofold, right? I had a jealousy and an envy in me that was undescribable, right? I couldn't describe the jealousy envy I had because I wasn't a McDonald's All-American. I didn't play on TV a lot. I didn't get 20 pairs of shoes because I was at a big school. Like I took ice baths and trash cans. Like I walked to class. I had to go to class. Like the life that I lived, like literally built me for those moments, right? So like you talk about, like I grew up with pit bulls and Rottweilers, right? So it's like, you let your Rottweiler off a leash, like depending on how you train it, you don't know what it's going to do. And I felt like a dog that was caged, right? Like I was caged and I wasn't unleashed in the right moments, like most of my life, like when they when they unleash me, like I, I go get 54. Like when I go to Lehigh, like I'm going to kill because this is what I want to do. Like this is what I felt like I was born to do to get to this podcast, to get to president of the PA. Like I knew basketball was going to be like my stepping stone. Like I was going to use this game instead of like, you know, the game uses us. Right. I was going to use this game for everything it had. But I wanted to make sure I maximize who I was as a player. So when we played against Duke. Nothing against Duke. I, first of all, I've always hated Duke. I don't know why. It's just like this envy that burned inside of me. Like I hated everything about Duke. I was a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. Yeah. I didn't like how I felt like those players felt entitled. I didn't even know them, but I just felt like they thought they were entitled because of they were five stars. Like they had this, they had that. They play on TV three times a week. They on national television. They always get the easy walk to the tournament, NCAA tournament. <laughs> every, every four years, it, it's set up for them to win a national title. And they be like, bro, how is this like a top a number 10 team? And they're, they got the, the easiest walk through. I was jealous. And I felt like they didn't want it as bad as I did. Like they didn't grow up the way I grew up. They didn't see what I seen. They weren't held back the way I was held back. They didn't have a 5-2 freshman year start. Like they didn't have to go to Lehigh. Like they didn't play in front of 200 people. So when you tell me I'm gonna be on CBS, I'm gonna play in front of 9 million people. Like I gotta really turn up. Like this is for everything. Like, so the stakes were higher for me than anybody else because if I play poorly in that moment, they judge me solely on that moment and say, he's not ready for the big stage, whatever, whatever. So I was like, I'm 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 rocking out like as ET would say I'm rocking out with with it out you know what I'm saying like I got to make sure that after this game they know exactly what I'm about and that I'm fearless make or miss shots like I don't care I'm fearless I'm hitting shots I'm telling Coach K to sit down like that's what type of time I was on because yeah. I had to really show them 
that I'm better than everybody out here. And you got some lottery picks out here. I'm better than them too. And I also went to the tournament my freshman year and played against Kansas and I wasn't ready. So I wanted to make sure like, if this is my last time playing in the tournament as a junior, I'm going to be ready. And they're going to know who, who I'm about, what I'm about. And it's funny because that was my last time because I ended up breaking my foot and I didn't get to go back my senior year. But that moment people remember and they think that I was my senior year, but no, that was a junior. I was still like, I was a pup in training. Like I wasn't grown, fully grown yet. Like I ain't have no facial hair. Like I was still like East snow cut against the grain. Like yeah. I was a child still, but I was playing like a grown man. Another thing we wanted to hit on while you're at Lehigh and uh, obviously it's a, a result you reap what you sow. Um, you end up in a media career right now where you're on ESPN, you're doing a bunch of stuff on during the playoffs. You have your own CJ McCollum podcast and you're, you're basically blowing up media wise. Can you talk to us about where that started and that vision as well? Is it the same thing? Like as of, you know, with the basketball, you knew you were going to take over and tell stories and, you know, be on this big platform to have people hear your voice. Yeah, I think for me, I actually started off in the business school, man. Like I went to I went to Lehigh and I was like, they got a great engineering program. But if I want to get to the NBA, like the course load is too hard. I can't do engineering. So what, what can I do to where I can still focus on my game? I can still get the gym at night, but I can have something that propels me past retirement. And I switched from, I was a business management major and I was minoring in econ. It was just, the course load was crazy. Oh, wow. I was like, it's like, there's no way I'm going to be able to go to the NBA with this course load. So I switched to journalism because I enjoy talking. I enjoy storytelling. And I felt like if I can, if I can enunciate properly, if I, I can speak and really kind of get across how I feel about certain things, like that'll, that'll better suit me for my life ahead. Like not just in sports, but in relationships yeah. and all those things. So I started taking courses, sociology. I wanted to understand people better. I wanted to understand body language and I wanted to be able to command a room with my voice. And I thought that would be very important for me more so than having a degree that says I'm a businessman. I was like, no, if I know how to talk and I can learn about business on the side, I can be a, a, a businessman who speaks well. And I think that's the, the career that I kind of focused on. And I just enjoyed covering sports. So I I worked for Lehigh Sports. I interned for the Brown and White. I wrote for the school newspaper. I did every every iteration of journalism that was possible. I covered lacrosse, field hockey, volleyball, covered the tennis championship. I interviewed players after games. I wrote feature stories. So I did every part of journalism so that I could better understand it. And then I watched TV and I thought to myself, like seeing Stuart Scott, may he rest in peace, seeing some of the guys that made like Sports Center cool, like with our jargon, our slang, they thought to myself, like, this is really dope. They get to watch sports all day. It's like going to the barbershop and talking about sports all day, but you get paid to do it. And I was like, this is, this is stealing money. Like if I can do this and get paid, like, this is crazy. You mean tell me I can go cover the finals and get to watch a finals game for free? Like, that's how I start thinking like, this is dope. So that's why I got in journalism because I love the storytelling aspect of it. I started with a radio show and then I went into podcasting and it was funny because I was hurt early in my career and I had a lot of journalism opportunities and I started turning them down because I was being known more for journalism than I was for being a player. I didn't like the way that looked. It looked like I wasn't taking basketball seriously, yeah. but in reality, I was just, I was just hurt. So I had to deflect. I turned down podcasting before it was cool. I had podcast offers in 15. I turned them down because I was like, I can't, I already got a radio show. Facebook Live is asking me to cover the finals back when you was in the, in the finals, Dre, with the words early, like the first time around, like I covered y'all finals in 16. I was working for I was working for ESPN for free in 15 yep. and 16. 
yep. doing finals and going to LA and stuff. But like I was being known more for that than for basketball. So I paused and yeah. I told my agency, like, yo, I got to get back in the gym. I locked in, you know, I signed up that first extension, that big boy extension. And I was like, okay, now they know I'm serious about hoop. Now I'll get back into to doing journalism. But I took a break and I thought that it was unfair to me because like for me to be intelligent enough to think about retirement and to take advantage of being hurt people viewed it as he doesn't take his crap seriously and i thought that was unfair but i took a break from it but i did envision doing something in journalism i didn't know what it was going to look like but i wanted to do something in it that was fun that was built for you know i'm a smart ass right so like that gives me a chance to to be a smart ass at times but to be funny but to be yep. you know a basketball historian like i know the history of the game i understand it i study it, and i'm obsessed like i watch league pass I had COVID and I had my laptop up. I had the iPad up. I had the TV on. Like I'm watching the games, follow my fantasy football league. Like I'm doing all this stuff because I just really love sports. Right. So when I had an opportunity to, to sign with ESPN, it was a dream come true, but I was also having a baby in the process of being a father. So I was kind of going through like, all right, how much time do I dedicate to these things as president of the PA, as a leader of a team, as a husband, like how do I balance these things? Cause not like the world is your oyster, but you got to figure out strategically how to make sure your plate's not too full. Yeah, I guess the next thing on your plate to add on, you know, after signing a big boy extension and, you know, kind of getting, you know, your reputation as a real hooper, killer shark and everything out the way, you've been comfortable enough to start a, you know, you bought what, 120 acres? I bought 318 acres. 318 acres. Don't short my man. My fault, killer. I would never. (laughs) Call Heritage 91, right? Harris, McCollum Harris 91 is the, the current wine that I'm releasing. My wife and I bought a property where we're building out right now. We're planning and we're actually working on namesake right now, figuring out what we want to name our actual property. But we're building out a vineyard um, where we'll look at renderings and start figuring out like probably like four or five years, five to seven years away from building a tasting room because we got to plan out the vineyard first and make sure that everything is in place, make sure that's a profitable business. And it should be based on the calculations and the projections, you know, on our five year, 10 year projections. But we're in a really great spot. We're happy about it. And right now I have a beautiful case study on a current wine that I'm doing um, in partnership with Adelsheim, which it's teaching me. And it's ironic because one of the first vineyards I went to was with E.T. Oh, yeah, yeah. Domain Serene, right? Yeah, we went to Domain Serene. Yeah, I, I want to give a shout out to CJ because I remember uh, we were talking. We were talking on a plane. I always give CJ this credit, and we were talking, and my guys were like, "Yeah, I'll go to the winery. I'll go to the winery." I'm like, "Bet, say less. I'll set it up." Next morning, set it up. What they do, Dre? None of them it, come. None of them except come one, except except for yep. CJ. Like you know Happy what I mean? Thanksgiving this year. Yeah, you and you sit there and you like, bro. Besides you getting your feelings, you <laughs> you start looking and you have a few moments like that. But that's the type of individual CJ was. Like you yeah. pay for something, CJ hits you and be like, yo, what do I owe you? And like not like pump fake owe you, like bother you for three days. Like, bro, what do I owe you, dog? Like <laughs> right. you, you understand right. what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah. But that was funny. That was a good time. We were able to uh, taste some wine right out the out the barrel. Correct. Right, we did barrel tasting. We was yeah, we was yeah. in that mug lit, and then it's funny because I think we played the Warriors <laughs> the next night. Um, this is like peak Warriors too, when y'all was like whooping. Yeah, you know, I was really, really like whooping ass, like beating the brakes off of everybody. And I was thought to myself, like we we we've been drinking all. We went from like <laughs> post practice to like I remember sleeping on the Sprinter and, and waking up, and it's like seven forty five, and I get home. I don't even eat dinner. I go right to bed. I, I uh, brush my teeth and I go to sleep. And I'm like, E.T., did you go to sleep? He's like, yeah. I did. We went to sleep at like 8.30 because we drank from yeah. like 1 to 7. 
passed out. I think did we win the next day? I think we might we have won the, the next day. Yeah, we beat the Warriors the next yeah. day, man. Right off a of Pino. Off a of Pino well, a bunch hangover. Of us didn't play. A bunch of us didn't play. No, bunch bro. Didn't play. Punch it down, play it. What I think that was that KD year, probably. No, we was getting at y'all the rest of the season. We just couldn't win in the playoffs. But we That's used to get y'all. Were, y'all were beating us by 20 points in four straight games. The playoffs we was won rough. Them all. <laughs> we should that should have been like a six-game series, like if we're being honest. Like no, that, if without, we were, K, without KD, without KD, it should have been five, six games. Without KD, we should have won. Up 20. <laughs> Four straight games, you gotta win one of them. You gotta <laughs> win one of them. You gotta win. We, and, we, and, and, we play yeah, ourselves. And, we play yeah, ourselves. It could be worse. I oh, mean. that was the uh the Rolls Royce game. Um, y'all might not know this story, but y'all had a player uh who should not have been driving the car he drove. We did an episode about this ET, what car you should drive. Each player, like depending on your rank on the team or your salary or your your position, what kind of car you should drive. And his name is Myers Leonard. Shout out, so, to, shout out to my guy, Myers Leonard. <laughs> shout out to Myers Leonard, shout, man. <laughs> no shouts out for me. But we, I rock with him, though. He's a cool dude, but he don't get no shout out for me. But he drove a Rolls Royce, He had and he had a Wraith. And I'd be blame E.T. for putting it in his mind, and he should have one. And um, he had 30 He had thirty or 40. He had a career he, high. Oh, Myers sna- snapped on y'all. He, he had snapped like on years. y'all, bro. It was but, the best. But before the game, like the, the leading up to the game, like Steve Kerr does not talk about that type of stuff. Like he doesn't care. He was like, I heard about this car this guy has. He has that car. He's like, listen, I want you to leave him open every single time. And I bet you we win, no matter how many points he scores. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't know whether to say he had a great game or to or the opposite. And this is what happens to a guy who shouldn't be driving a wraith. <laughs> you feel me? No, he hit like eight threes. I, yeah. That he was, was going the game crazy. I thought for sure we was going to win. He, yeah, was, he was dunking crazy. and yelling. Okay. Yeah. You know how like you think like okay, like all right, we, we dropped a couple. I was like, okay, we at the crib. This is the game we win. Like Yo, we're and, up. It was, and it was lit too. Yeah, that was, was lit. Going in there. It was it was yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of crazy. Damn. Yeah, Myers Leonard. He yeah, that was a great. He was catching lobs and everything. G. And Myers went crazy, yelling. They was chanting his name. It was like it was. Was that was cr- that was crazy, man. It was like, like it was yesterday too. The, the the fall is crazy, and so I guess you know I want you to put on your MVPA hat, and you know you and ET you've been speaking on it. The course you have to take to be a great player in this league, or even just to make it to the league. Not even you. It's not even promised that you're going to be a great player. We've all been fortunate to have our moments of greatness in the basketball world, but it's not guaranteed. But the new the new route journey to the NBA is so much different, but these players, you know, we feel like they don't have the same um, intensity. Uh, winning's not as important. It's all about the numbers. And then you got the different routes yeah. you can take to get to the league. Do they genuinely care about it? You know, are they, do they have that obsession with the game? You know, you hear a lot of guys talking about that Kobe mentality. ET and I hate when guys say that because they have no idea what that means. <laughs> and so, right. you know, as, as, as the, the head of our union, and, and what you stand for, you know, what advice are you giving guys? And, and, and what are guys doing in their free time? You know, what should they be thinking about? What should they be reading? You know, what's healthy for right. them to get away from the game, but still something that's uh, valuable to them as a person and will help them grow as a player? First of all, I think the game is different. The way the game is viewed is different. The way it's covered is different. And the amount of money you can generate before you become a professional athlete is completely different than what it was like. Therefore, the players are different. Mm-hmm. Their exposure, their access, their financial wherewithal—like they have stuff that 
NBA players have, which is wild to think about. They got some of the same watches. They drive in some of the same cars. It's 16 year old millionaires now yeah. that are out there in yeah. football and basketball. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, baseball, because they can go pro earlier. So I think the type of kids you're seeing is different. I'm not going to say that they're all not as hungry as we were, because some of them are actually really hungry, even though they're getting, they're getting these things. They still love the game. They still play the game the right way. But I think the issue is that a lot of these kids are being trained like pros too early. And I think it's stunning their growth and development. I think the other issue is that a lot of these kids are playing too many games in the summertime. It's too many games. And I think, you know, I had this discussion all the time with CP. I talked to Adam about it a lot. And I think you look at baseball, there's a pitch count for pitchers, right? Like how much you can pitch as a kid. Like I pitched as a kid growing up in Ohio and they used to like, you couldn't pitch a certain amount of innings. You couldn't pitch a certain amount of games in a row. They had to rest you. And I think, the NBA, one of the things we're seeing now is players are getting to the NBA as 19-year-olds and they got the bodies of 26 and 27-year-olds. So you have a lot of issues with the wear and tear that they're going through. And that's just from playing, you know, 100 games a summer or whatever the case may be. Guys are playing two, three, four, five games. I'm not saying they shouldn't play basketball. I'm saying, is it necessary to have all of these grassroots tournaments to where guys are just destroying their bodies before they become yes. pros? That's the first part that I think is an, is an issue in our sport. The second part is... I don't mind players getting paid. I'm, I'm happy guys can make money, but I think there should be some type of financial education that comes with money, right? Like I didn't have money. I didn't grow up with it. I didn't grow up around people that grew up with the type of money that we make now. So I didn't know what it was like. I learned on the fly. I got lucky, hired the right people and they taught me. But you have kids now who are leaders of their household financially at 15 or 16 because of the NIL. And you expect them to act responsibly when they don't come from money. Like it's it's hard. And then you expect them to listen to people in their household when now they're paying bills. Like there's a there's a whole dynamic that comes into play. And I know you guys are all raised by black mothers. Right. So growing up with a black mom, they'll tell you you're not growing until you can pay your own bills. You're not growing until you can do this until you can do that. What do these parents tell these kids who are paying the bills in the house, who are generating big boy, big girl income? in their households. There's that power dynamic that's now shifting in a lot of these kids' households to where you needed mommy and daddy for a lot of stuff when you are age. You need a ride to practice. You didn't have a car. You might've had to ride a bike. You might've had to ride a teammate. Now these kids can go buy, as the saying goes in the South, they buying Hellcats. Like all these kids, they got Hellcats, tricked out Hellcats. Everybody from Florida got a Hellcat. Like they have money to go buy the things that, to be quite honest, like I played the game because I love the game. But I knew it would provide the things that I wanted in my life and my family's life. Yeah. If these kids are getting it earlier, that's fine. Like, I'm not not going to get it earlier. We got to teach them how to properly save, how to properly invest, how to properly hire. And I don't think we're doing that. And I also think there's better ways we can do it in the NBA. And we're working towards that. And we're putting things together. And we're speaking to the right people. But those are the two things I think are huge issues. The third thing, the final thing I'll say is I talked about the overtraining and how kids are training like pros. There's a certain way in which you should train. I absolutely agree. I absolutely believe it. But I got better when I got pro training because I didn't get pro training from the beginning. Right. If if that makes sense. Like oh, my growth, yeah. my development, like the leaps that I started to take when I started lifting, when I started eating well, like I didn't do all those things right away. I slowly started eating well. I slowly started working on the right stuff. I slowly started hiring the right trainers. I slowly started yeah. taking the right amount of rest. I don't think these kids are getting the combination of those things enough, including the right amount of rest. Like there's overtraining. There's guys that are using professional trainers. There's high schoolers that use the same trainers that I'm using in the NBA, but they're using them at 12 or 13. Right. I feel like I'm not saying it's excessive, but I'm saying you got to pick your spots. And the last thing I'll say is Cole Anthony, for example, right? He's been training with Chris Brickley since 
Ever. He was in high yeah, school. Forever. Yeah, yeah. He used to work out so much. I used to tell Cole, like, Cole, go home. Go on vacation with your family. Go do something. He was like, all right, you're right. I'm going to do something. I'm just trying to get to the league. And that's a kid who grew up. Father was in the league. His mom does well. Stepfather does well. He still had that hunger and that work ethic. But I say all this to say that there was a point in time where me being a guy who had been like Cole, right, wanted it so bad that I overtrained. Season would start. I would be drained. I was like, yo, you got to train smarter. You already work hard. Like, yep, your shot got better. You already athletic. You already got handles. I'm like, take a break. Find a healthy hobby. And this is how I'll put this all together. The best thing that ever happened to me was breaking my foot because it taught me how to disconnect from sports. It taught me how to be content with working on some stuff and then putting it away. I win, I lose. I put it away when I come home. I go do hot yoga. I have my family. I had a girlfriend at the time. Like I could kick it with her. Now I got my dog. I got my other businesses. I have a healthy way of disconnecting. Bob Meyer said this on all the smokes podcast. I watch a lot of podcasts. He said the best thing about Steph is that he has the proper balance. He knows when to work. And he knows when to disconnect and go do holy moly golf or cook or be with his family. But when it's time to turn the switch on, he turns the switch on. Everybody yep. can't do that. And I think that's the difference between good players, great players. You talked about staying in the league longer. You have to have a healthy hobby or hobbies away from this game because this game will break you if you don't. And you've answered a lot of the questions I had, you know, which is beautiful. And I think, you know, as we transition out, because I know you got to roll with your schedule, um, closing it out on, you know, you're averaging a, a career high in rebounds, you're averaging a career high in an assist, and you're facilitating because you got two young monsters, and then you got two other ones coming right behind them. And uh, yeah. with, with Herb Jones, and what's my shooter's name? Trey Murphy. Don't miss. Troy Murphy. And I didn't know Trey, Trey Murphy was 6'9". Trey, Trey, Trey. Trey. I, didn't know, I didn't know Trey was 6'9". And so I walked up on him and I was like, I said, Trey, won't you Trey, won't you play like you six nine instead of playing like you six three? You know what I mean? And 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 because I didn't know he was six nine until I stood next to him, I said, Oh my God. But he's just he shoots the ball so well, you forget that he's that tall. And so, you know, how are you, you know, now you're the OG, you're the vet, you know, what type Mm -hmm. of um guidance or energy are you giving a crazy talent like B I've been a BI fan since I first played him when he was a rookie and he was running a point for Luke Walton. You know, right. obviously we know all know about Zion. And then you got you know y'all got then you got a uh, crazy man running around still in the ball from everybody oh, when because you, you can't yeah. see him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love his game too. Um and then Willie Green was my teammate for years and then he was my coach here with the Warriors. So um just kind of you know, talk to me about B.I. and Zion, your relationship with them and 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 what you see coming from them for the next 10, 15 years, because we forget yeah. they're still babies. It's crazy. Z's like 23 and B.I.'s like 26 or 25. It's wild to think about. But I'll start with B.I. because I played with him first when I got traded. Z was hurt. I got to play with him first. And talk about a basketball junkie, like talked about the hunger, the love for the game, the ability to disconnect. B.I., loves basketball. And I didn't realize it until after All-Star break. First of all, I seen the work ethic, so I was like, okay, he works like KD, right? Like, he's methodical. He works on his footwork. And you play with K, so you know how K works. Like, yep. there's a reason why his tween-tween pull-up is like it is. Like, he works on his stuff. B.I. works on fadeaways. Playing Lance, he's going to lift. After shoot-around, he's going to lift. Like, he has a schedule and a routine that allows for greatness. And I think being in LA, like being around Kobe, he kind of absorbed a lot. And then was like, if I want to be great, I have to do these things. So I seen the work ethic, I seen the obsession. We went to dinner 
in Phoenix last season before we played the Phoenix Suns right after All-Star break. And we sat down and talked and we were struggling to coexist together because he was taking a back seat. He was kind of like, yo, you the OG, like you've been in the playoffs. Like he's just kind of like passing and deferring. And I, and I said, look, I said, look, bro, I played with a bona fide killer in Portland, a guy who can shoot from 50 feet out. I said, do not worry about me. I always figure out how to eat. You eat first. You go be aggressive. Go get 30. Go get 40. Don't worry about me. If you see me open and you want to pass it, pass it. But I said, don't go out your way to look for me. I'll figure it out. Like, I've been playing this game a long time. I know how to play a role. I know how to be the man when it's time to be the man. I know how to be a man. I said, look, I'm comfortable in all these roles. I came here to help you, to help Z, to help Willie, to help take us to the next level. But for us to get to the next level, you have to be great. And I have to let you be great. And we had the conversation the next night. He went and got 35 or 36. And then he looked at me and he was like, I said, look, I'm going to always figure it out. I said, go be who you are and don't be afraid of your greatness. Don't be afraid of that next step. And he showed that next step in the playoffs against the Suns where he was unguardable, right? Like he did whatever he wanted. I'm and texting then, him after the games. I'm then, texting him like, ooh, there it is. He's unbelievable, bro. Like his work ethic, his skill set, he can pass, he can run a pick and roll, he can guard in now. The only thing that I told him that he needs to change is I said, you have to shoot more threes. I said, the game will open up like a chessboard. It'll be like a matrix if you shoot more threes because they have to guard you further out and they already can't guard you. You already got mid post game. You love the midi. You finish, you can dunk on the center. You got finesse lays. Um, shoot more threes and work on it this summer. So now he's shooting, he was shooting 46 yes. from three before he got yes. hurt. That was the next step for him. So I'm just thankful to be around these guys to be able to help tell them things that I wasn't told and help tell them things, some of the things that I was told, how to disconnect, how to transform your game, how to be a leader, how to do it every night. Like you got to do it every night. Like that back to back where you don't feel like playing, you got to do it again. Like the team is watching you. They watching how you move. They watching how you prepare. I'll go play 37 minutes and I'm still doing my 25 minute workout before the, before a practice where guys are looking like, damn, you just, you, you leading the team in minutes. This is before I had COVID. I said, I work a certain type of way so that when I get into the game, I just show up. I don't have to worry because I work so hard. I'm just showing up. And they're like, are you worried about the game? I'm like, no, see how I work. Z I'll talk about Zion now. Cause that was the second part of your question. I've never seen anything like him in my life. I, I told, uh, Brian Windhorst, I said, you know, there's stars, there's satellites, there's suns, and there's planets. I said, he's a planet. Like, he's a planet. The gravity that he has on the court, the things he's able to do on the court, and people are starting to see he's settling in. He's getting comfortable now. He hadn't played in a year, so he was not finishing how he normally finishes around a basket, which is still 70%. Now he's at 80. Like, he's dunking now in crowds. Like, he's shooting middies every now and then. He's showing you the burst. Like that game against um, Toronto, we played against Toronto. No B.I., no me, no Najee, um, Najee Marshall. He just took over the game. He scored the first nine points and one and one dunk. He's running past guys. He's moving OG out the way. And you know how strong OG is. He making African OG. Strong. African strong. He made OG look like a high schooler. Like his strength, his explosiveness, his touch around. He's got underrated touch around the basket. He finishes really well with the English. And... Um, He's learning and he's accepting the fact that he knows things that he's not good at and he's working on them. I talked to him about his defense. I said, you you really been putting a, uh, extra effort on defensive. And he said, I've, I've noticed that that was something I need to improve on. I wasn't moving how I move on offense. I wasn't doing that on defense laterally. I wasn't trying to block shots. I wasn't trying to jump in crowds. I wasn't taking it personal. He said, I'm taking it personal now. And you see some of the interviews where they're asking him how your defense was. And he's like, what do you mean oh, yeah. by that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
He's enjoying the process of becoming who he's supposed to be. And I don't say that about everybody often because we're all supposed to be somebody. And we're all we all have a ceiling as to like you maximize it or you don't. I said, look, I don't want anything from you besides for you to maximize whatever your ceiling is. And your ceiling is higher than ours. Your ceiling is higher than mine. Your ceiling is higher than a lot of people. I want to help you get there. I don't need no bread from you. I don't need nothing from you. I'll never ask you for anything besides for you to be the best version of yourself so we can get the best out of you so that when this when this all ends, you can look back to your family and say, I did all I could to get the most out of my talent. And now I just I sit back and I look at the fact that I'm one of the greatest players of all time. I said, that's all I want for you. I don't want nothing else. I don't need nothing else. I eat good. My family eats good. I'm just here to empower y'all, teach y'all how to be respectable men on and off the court. I'm going to teach you how to make more bread off the court. I'm going to teach you how to be likable. I said, I'll leave you with this. This is the last thing I'll say. I said, I am an asshole. I am a certified asshole. But people still fuck with me Mm -hmm. because I do things the right way. I move a certain type of way. I work a certain type of way. And they know what they're going to get from me. They know my consistency. Like, they know, like, you're not surprised. Like, how I am is how I am, right? I said, you want to be known as whoever you are, Z, but you want them to know the real version of you. Yep. And now he's smiling and you're starting to see like he's a really fun loving kid from the South who's just really good at basketball and his personality is coming out to go with the skill. Well shit. You said you said it all, bro. Uh, we appreciate the we appreciate the interview. We appreciate everything that you've done. We appreciate the steps you're taking, example, actually at your setting. Because uh most of our, you know, most of our conversations and most of our uh energy towards this pod is basically the examples that you set and you know the, the man that you are so once again i always appreciate you as a, a teammate a brother but you know as an example you're setting and and you know paying it forward by you know showing the next generation what it really is to, to do what's next you know you're a great basketball player but you'll be remembered as even a greater man so much love to you for fulfilling your talent and making the most of your 24 today I appreciate that, brother. You know, it's all love, man. You're one of the best teammates I've been around in terms of personality, the consistency of who you are, good game, bad game, things go well, things don't go well. You was always a real one. It's not a lot of us out there. And I say us because, you know, I'm in that group too. But I think the cool part is that like birds of a feather flock together. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm happy to see y'all still, you know, doing what y'all do, empowering the youth, inspiring next generation and still showing that, look, you can be, you can grow up the same way we grew up. And you can touch money from all different circles. You can touch money from all different areas and all different fields if you play your cards right. And I think that's important for our our black youth and our minority youth to see that. Like, use these games and these sports and these relationships to your advantage. Like, we've been getting used our whole life. Like, really, really, truly take advantage and lock in on, like, what you can be with this game. And then when this game is over, you should have parlayed your success in the play. 